What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. My name is Austin Jardine. Happy freaking Monday. I hope you all had a great weekend. Uh, this was probably the first weekend I've had since, I think, probably uh, late January uh, that I've had to myself, which has been really nice. I haven't uh, been at work. I haven't been traveling. And I was able to sleep in a little bit and actually went on a kind of an accidental road trip yesterday. I Hopped in my pickup, and uh, next thing you know, I'm like 120 miles outside of town, just kind of having a good time, listening to tunes, talking to some friends, and just kind of enjoying uh, a little bit of quiet time, which was uh, long overdue. Uh, Before we get into today's episode, though, if you haven't, please take a quick second to like, rate, and subscribe to the show. It means the world to me, and you'll uh, stay up to date on all the shenanigans. And uh, if you're like me and spend maybe a little too much time on the Instagrams, uh, please follow me at The Vanguard Project. Um, I will link that in the episode description as well. Um, But today's episode features Maddie Woodward from Nosler, and I'm super excited because she is an awesome lady with a great story to tell and a lot of insight, and uh, it was kind of fun because she uh, tapped in a little bit to some uh, the mentality mentality that she has while she's hunting, uh, understanding her why uh, with a a couple good stories uh, to boot. Now, uh, I'm excited too because we are coming up on my two-year anniversary with the podcast, which is crazy because we've hit well over 100 episodes now, and I've been extremely fortunate and blessed to have met with some amazing folks, interacted, and bumped shoulders with some really, really good people. Um, So I'm really excited and very thankful for that. And uh, along with that, I've been able to partner with some great companies. Um, One of them is Eberly Stock. Um, I've worked with Everly Stock over the past several years in a variety of different capacities, uh, you know, coming from the shooting sports and then uh, stepping into the podcast world. Um, you know, they've kind of helped usher me along and get me connected. And I stand by both the people and the product of Everly Stock. And uh, one of them, I know that I've preached this several times that I kind of live by, is, uh, is actually the, uh, the kite bag. And the kite is uh, almost a duffel bag, uh, a roll top duffel bag in a backpack form with a, a front opening zipper. And I have been on the road more often than not lately. I, uh, I'm actually slated to uh, travel potentially again here soon, and I live out of this thing. I can fit uh, at least a week's worth of clothes in it, and it will fit in an overhead compartment just fine. Uh, makes it super easy to carry things around, easy to tuck things in, and uh, kind of just be off to the races without thinking about having to either buy a new uh, uh, you know, suitcase or roller bag or whatever the case may be. Just load this thing up and send it. So if you guys need anything, I know that uh, springtime's coming. Uh, my buddy and I are planning a uh, bear hunt here soon uh, back up in Idaho, and uh, I've been slowly starting to train train up for that as well using my uh, my frame pack or my uh, my main frame excuse me which is kind of funny people give me some weird side eyes and uh, crazy looks while I'm uh, at the gym with you know anywhere from 70 to 90 pounds on the incline or the stair climber just trying to you know not be the lazy one of the crew so if you guys need anything uh, please give the uh, retail store a uh, a call let them know the Vanguard podcast sent you and get hooked up. But otherwise, let's roll an awesome episode with Maddie Woodward. (music) 
What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. My name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I'm excited today because I'm sitting down with Maddie Woodward. And I'm excited because um, you and I first interacted last summer at the Eberly Stock event. And kind of as I've followed you and all this fun stuff that you do on the Instagrams, you are like a major killer and wicked hunter. So I'm excited to kind of see how you got into the industry, some of the things that you've learned and uh, kind of all those things, but I don't want to take your intro away. So I'll kind of pass it off to you if you don't mind introducing yourself a bit and uh, I'll take notes and uh, ask questions. Sounds good. Yeah. So I'm Maddie Woodward. Um, I am in central Oregon and I am the brand marketing manager at Nosler. And I say that because it's heavily impacted my role in the industry within the last few years. Um, I grew up hunting. I've been hunting since I was a little girl and I, I don't even really remember where it started because I was so young. It just was second nature to go hunting with my dad. And so I was brought up in the industry and then through high school sports, I would go hunting on weekends and in college, same deal. And then it was after college that I felt like it really became my passion. And so it's interesting to look back over the years and see my transition and my different perspectives of hunting and the industry at different points in my life and how that's changed and now kind of finally coming to my true why I hunt and the, the passion behind that. Okay. I like that. <clears throat> The true why that makes me think, did you get that from the Simon Sinek book? No. You know, it's a, I think it's called, I don't know if it's choose your why or like define your why there's, he's got a book. I've, I've okay. heard about it, but I've never read it. So I'll have to remember what the gist is, but okay. So growing up hunting and everything, one of the things that I think would be interesting to kind of poke on a little bit is hearing how your perspective of hunting changed over the years right so you grew mm -hmm. up with it i imagine you know was that a super fun thing for you and your dad did that help your guys' relationship is that something you want to instill in your kids or whatever at some point i mean how did your perspective change and why yeah so i re i remember it as being just a really good positive time in the woods with my dad and i have a younger brother he's 17 months younger and we are really close. We've just always been really close, always hunted together. Um, and he's been there for a lot of the animals I've killed over the years, which I'm super grateful for. But yeah, my dad was always a big hunter and he didn't start at a young, young age. He had a mentor um, that kind of took him along through his teenage years and taught him how to hunt. And I just, that's the life I grew up with. Like I didn't know any different and it wasn't really until probably middle school or high school that I realized that, you know, not very many people hunt. Like there wasn't girls on my basketball team taking off Friday night after basketball game and going and hunting with their dad. And I thought that that was really cool. And it was just something that we did. And I, I knew like, you know, we provided our own meat for our family and that was a cool aspect of it. It was always fun taking like deer jerky and stuff to school and sharing with the kids at school. But the field to table part didn't really hit until probably within the last five or so years. And so that's kind of been a perspective change as I got older and, you know, I moved out on my own after college and, you know, now I'm putting groceries on my own table and providing for my own family. And so that really became 
kind of my why behind it. Um, and so I love having a freezer full of meat. I think that we could probably go a year or so without having to go to the grocery store, which is a blessing, but it just brought me closer to nature and closer to myself. And so it just started out as being something that I did with my dad. And then in college, I played basketball in college, but I got heavy into lifting and fitness. And so with that, I felt the transition of even when I wasn't successful in filling my tag, I was successful just being out in the woods. And that was a form of exercise and a form of therapy for me. So my perception has kind of changed over the years and now it's really therapeutic. Okay. So then your perspective changed from more of just the time spent with your dad and it being unique to kind of your friends and the girls you grew up with to now Mm -hmm. therapeutic and, and kind of helping you realize a little bit more of, can I, if I said your potential, does that, is that fair? Yeah. I would say that there's, there's so much, so much personal growth that has happened for me over the years because of hunting and you know, you learn a lot in school and that's great. And in the workforce and that's great. But I think that there's something to be said about what you learn deep down about yourself when you spend time in the woods and the challenges you face and being persistent and really pushing forward and digging deep because you are faced with challenges that can be scary, can be emotional, can be heartbreaking, like the highs and lows. And I think that you really find who you are when you're out there chasing animals. Yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit more as far as um, kind of chasing those things and pushing yourself and finding those upper and lower limits? I mean, how did you how did you find those? Maybe that's an example or a story. I mean, what have been some of the things that you've learned about yourself that could only have come from the woods? Yeah. So, oh, I've had lots of success and tons of failures. And I think that in itself, um, just shifting your mindset to not being disappointed when you go out day after day and you're not successful. I mean, ultimately we're all out there with the end goal of, we want to kill an animal. We want to put meat on the table, but the majority of time (laughs) that doesn't happen. Um, and you know, there's been times where I've gone years without killing an animal. And so kind of like being able to shift your mindset and dig deep in those situations. One story that comes to mind, which actually was really recent this last October, my brother drew a really good deer tag, um, for Oregon. And he had waited like 10 years to draw this tag. And so me and my husband went down and hunted with him and my dad. And he only had, he has two young kids and his wife at home. And so he only had a few days to hunt. And this being his first kind of big, big time mule deer tag, I think he felt a lot of pressure, not only having his family at home, but to get in there, kill a big buck because he had waited so many years for this moment and then get, get out and get back to his family. And, um, so we went in there with him and my dad and him had actually gone in the day before. And then I got off work and we drove down and met him the next day. And they had put on a pretty nasty hike the day before. And my dad's 
in really good shape and an awesome hunter and he could walk for miles, but the canyons we were hunting, he was pretty beat after that first day going with my brother. And so we had spotted some deer across the canyon one morning and it was probably like 9am and the three of us decided to, we were going to dump off this cliff face and drop down into the bottom of this canyon. And the deer were a few miles down from us and across the canyon. And so we were kind of just going to take our, take our time to get over there. At this point, we had put the deer to bed and we needed to get a closer look. Like we knew there were decent bucks over there, but we weren't quite sure what they were. And we wanted to make sure that after waiting that long, he was really, truly happy with what he was going to be shooting. And so we left my dad up on the top of the ridge and he watched us dive down this canyon and you know pretty soon we're all came out out and we disappear on the other side of this ridge and he just keeps watching and he's glassing the bucks and you know watching them in their bed and we didn't have radios so we didn't really have any way to communicate with him um, and we ended up spending the day out there and it wasn't until probably five that evening that we were directly across the canyon from where these bucks were bedded and they were in like bighorn sheep country. I kid you not, there was actual bighorn sheep where the bucks were bedded. Um, and so it's nasty, nasty stuff. And so we, like 5 p.m. that night, we see these bucks, they stand up and they're right where we, we put them to bed and thought they were all day. And they start to move a little bit, but they're kind of just hanging out and moving within a hundred yard radius, I would say. And like, we're looking up at them across this canyon. And so I make sure that this is a buck my brother wants to really kill. And it was a, a really, really nice three point. And to give it away, he ends up killing this buck and he scores 173, has a cheater off one side, but just a brute of a three point. And at this point we glass him up and I'm like, okay, why make sure this is the buck you want. And he's like, this is the one I want. I'm like, okay, just make sure because we're going to put a move on him. And if you get over there and you don't want to pull the trigger, that's totally fine. We'll hike out of here. And he's like, no, that's the one I want. So we're like, okay, we got to, we got to move because we're racing daylight at this point. And so we cut through the bottom of the draw through some nasty, nasty deadfall and reprod. And we get 700 yards below this deer and it's like a 30% grade. So it's steep, <laughs> like nasty steep. And we, it was a miracle how it all came together, but he ended up making a really good shot. He shot once and barely missed over the buck's back. And so we dialed his scope a little bit and he shot again. And the buck's obviously never been shot at because he just, he moved about 10 yards right. And he shot again and held right on and he smoked him and the buck dropped right in his bed. And so that was like the high point of this hunt, right? Like we saw the buck in the morning, we made the stock, like moved in, he made a good shot, buck's dead. So like the work begins and the hill, I, I don't even call it a hill. It was literally a canyon. It was steep. It looked steep from the bottom, but it got steeper and steeper as we were going up, like to the point where we're having to hold on to rocks. And it's some points in the hill are like inverted. You're, yeah. you're vertical. And it took us two hours to get up to the buck. So at this point, it's like eight o'clock. 
and it's dark and right where the buck died he's on a 50 foot cliff and so there's only room for one person to field dress him so my brother's field dressing him he's handing quarters up to my husband and I for us to bag and it so steep that we tied ourselves off to the hill because like one false move and you're gone and my dad we can still see his light on the other side of the canyon and at this point like we have our headlamps on and stuff so we think that he can see our light but we don't have any way of communicating with him so it gets to be really late by the time we get this buck broken down it's like 10 p.m and my dad thinks that we're staying out there. Like he thinks that we are in a good spot to like sleep on the mountainside, but we weren't. And so we decide to pack out and we didn't get back to the truck until 5 a.m. the next morning. And it was one of those moments where like, I'm with two people that really I care about more than anything in the world. And when you're in those situations, like you're not thinking about yourself, you're thinking about them and how scary the situation is. And it makes it 10 times worse. And um, of course, we're all going down, back down this hill with full packs and meat and gear and everything. And like getting down to the bottom of the hill wasn't even the worst part. We had to get through all the deadfall, all the reprod, like thick, nasty brush. And it's to the point where I'm about to have a mental breakdown. And I've never experienced that before. Like usually I can push through anything. I'm very confident in that. Very confident in like, you know, your body can go a lot further than your mind thinks it can. So like, that's always in my head. Like my body will keep pushing. But at this point, I'm like on the verge of tears. I'm dead tired. And we had a run in with a cougar. Um, we had to cross a creek and back up the other side. And it got to the point where the cliff that we had dropped off that morning in the daylight, we had to go back up and we couldn't find where we came down. And it was just so stressful and so scary. And I'm just so thankful we all made it out of there safe. But it's like one of those things where you're in the moment and you're like, why the hell do we do this? And it just really pushes you and challenges you and when you come out of that, and of course, like a few days later, after our bodies had recovered, we're like, all right, we're ready to do it all over again. And it's like one of my favorite stories to tell. And to this day, one of my favorite hunts, and I wasn't even the one that killed the deer. But it's just the fact that because of that situation, I know that I can get myself out of most anything or that I can push through almost anything or like, regardless of how tired my body and mind are. I can keep going. And you can apply that to so many different situations in life. And I think we've become really soft these days just as a society. And so to have those experiences and to be able to know that about myself, I feel very fortunate. That's true. I agree with the softness. So in that moment, this is, I've, this is a fun question. Was there something that you were holding on to mentally that kept you going, that kept you from breaking down into tears, throwing a fit, sitting down, calling it quits for the night? Yeah, I think it was the fact that no matter what, I had to get out of there somehow. And it was like, I either push through and get out here now and we get back safe or 
I spend the night in there and like looking back, we, we basically did spend the night in there. Cause as we, you know, we got up to the truck at 5.00 AM and as we were driving out, hunters were driving in to the spot, <laughs> but it was just the fact that I had to get out of there somehow. No one was going to come down and rescue me. No one was going to carry me out of there. And there were times where all three of us, we sat down and it was, it seemed like every 10, 15 minutes, maybe every 10, 15 steps, we're like, okay, we need a break. Like yeah. it was that exhausting. And just the fact that we had to get out of there. Yeah. So in the same vein, this is similar, but different, right? So having experienced that kind of taking literally covering that mountain, stepping over that mountain, right. And knowing that you are more capable than you knew you were the day before, how has that helped you in the day life, like day-to-day life? I think in a lot of ways, I handle challenges that are thrown my way, whether that be work or life. I am able to kind of see those through to the end and know that no matter what I can get through this. So there's no real worry or no real reason to worry or stress about things that are out of my control because I can focus on the things I can control and know that no matter what, I will be able to handle it and get through it. Okay. So, man, I feel like I'm asking like odd questions, but like one of the things too, that I'm thinking about, right. Is given, given this experience, right. To me, to me, that is almost a life or death, depending on literally the step you make. Right. So that's kind of an extreme situation that you were in right now. You obviously didn't go from, you know, shooting 22s, smoking pop cans to climbing up sheep country. Right. So you've kind of Mm -hmm. progressed through that. If somebody were to say, Hey, Maddie, I would like to start developing myself and pushing myself right to get to that point where you're at now, what advice would you have for them to take those steps? Does that question make sense? Yeah, it does. Because it definitely is experiences and different hunts that have led me to that point in my life. I by no means suggest like doing that on your first hunt. Um, but I think just getting out there and doing over the counter tags or just knowing your body's capabilities and health and fitness goes a lot into that. And so does preparation and knowing what gear you need to take, always being prepared, always having a med kit, you know, having food, things that are going to help you along your way. Um, and just being prepared in the field for literally everything, because, you know, one of us slips and breaks a leg or cuts themselves, or we're stranded out there without a shelter, without food, those could be bad situations. (laughs) And so this was kind of an extreme and it all happened in one day which was kind of crazy because usually you hear about trips that are like over the course of a week and they're just nasty, but this was all in one day. And so that was a lot to take in too, because we went from such a high to such a low so fast and it wasn't, it wasn't gradual and you weren't really able to foresee that. But yeah, I think just starting small and starting with what you're comfortable with and being comfortable with your capabilities to an extent, you don't always know what you're able to do until you push yourself but you know your body's ability and and starting with kind of starting small I would say and then always making sure that someone knows where you're at and where you're going and what you're doing yep backup plans yeah um 
So you mentioned a little bit ago that fitness was one of the things that kind of crept up as a significant importance to you. Mm -hmm. Now, fitness and, you know, hunting obviously run in parallel. Do you have a pretty good like idea, understanding or training plan where they kind of intersect where the gym meets functional fitness for hunting? Yeah, I do. Um, For me, it's a lot of lifting, a lot of hiking, a lot of like weighted rough stuff. Um, but really it's kind of funny because all growing up, my mom was a big time runner and I played three sports in high school. And so I was always running and, you know, big into athletics and that was just part of the job. You had to exercise, but I can't say that I truly enjoyed it. Like outside of sports, I never was in the weight room or going on runs And so then in college, um, we had a weightlifting program and it wasn't until my senior year that I really started doing that stuff and enjoying that stuff on my own outside of what my team was doing. And I look back and I wish I would have found a love for that earlier on because I think it would have made me a much better and stronger player, but I'm glad I found it at at some point (laughs) regardless. But I just think that you put so much strain on your body when you're in the field and you really have to prepare for not just like taking your rifle on a hike, but you have to prepare for, if you do kill that animal, the weight that's going to be on your pack and the weight that's going to be on your joints and on your muscles and the terrain and really a successful hunt is coming home safe (laughs) in my opinion, because there are so many things that can go wrong. And I think about like, I grew up in Northwest Oregon in the coast range and we had a a lot of road hunters. And I just think about these guys like shooting something from the road and they're overweight. They like, how are you going to pack that out? I'm like, you're going to have a heart attack. And so I just never wanted to be that person where you glass up an animal across the canyon and before you even go after it or before you even like think about killing the animal, you're thinking about the pack out and that's what stops you from going after it. And I never wanted that to be a limitation of me chasing an animal. That makes perfect sense. So yeah, it's funny. Cause like I've started again, cause like I used to be a weighted ruck fanatic. Like that was mm-hmm. like my jam and I, now I'll do it. And I get, I get flack for it. I had one guy tell me there was medication for what I was doing. Cause I had <laughs> 90 pounds and I was like, everything is broken right now. Like this is the only exercise I could get in. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, it's funny. Cause like, I feel like to a certain extent it helps, but nothing's like getting out and actually falling and stumbling over deadfall. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and that's so true. Like the best way to get in shape for the mountain is really to just go out there and do it because a weighted pack on the stairmaster, which I see a lot of people doing, is great. And that definitely builds your lungs and builds your cardio um and helps you get strong legs. But that doesn't compare to being in the mountain and the change in elevation and the like slow creep you do when you're making it up a mountain and you have a ways to go. And so, yeah, getting out there, like that's why I enjoy shed hunting so much and scouting is because that really does get you in shape for the moment. Yeah. I like scouting. It's funny. I've met a lot of people that like to go hike to hike and I hate hiking to hike. 
Like yeah. I have to I do have something. To have a purpose. <laughs> Otherwise I'm like, why, why are we doing this? I'd rather yeah. be fishing or camping. Okay. So maybe before we shift subjects a smidge kind of throughout a lot of the conversation that we've had so far about finding the why a little bit more kind of leading into Nosler, right? Mm -hmm. The training portion of it, some of the things you, you've learned. Is there anything kind of in this little segment that you're like, man, this is really important for me to share, or I don't get asked about this a whole lot. You kind of want to get out there. Oh, it's a very fun loaded question. It is. And the answer can be no. I've been told not right now. Um, let's see. Yeah, I just think so. It's kind of interesting. Social media and my social media following is growing. And I think that it's never been more important to know your why for hunting because there are those people whose why is social media. And that's not good enough for me. <laughs> um, I, I wish we'd get back to the roots of it and, you know, hunting is conservation and we might not, we might not always have the best fish and wildlife groups running our States and managing the populations, but at the root of hunting is conservation. And there's a tradition aspect for me with growing up hunting with my dad, my birthday's in October. I was every year I spent my birthday in deer camp. So that's my why. And I, I love that aspect. That's something that I want to pass on for generations. And like I mentioned, my brother has little kids and this last fall I shot a big black bear and my nephew was with me at three years old. And it was just so cool to share that moment with him. And so there's a lot of different reasons of like encompassed in my why. So it's like the tradition portion of it, the family aspect, the camaraderie, challenging yourself and growing, putting food on the table and you know exactly who handled it, where it came from. You have, you've had a moment with that animal that blessed you with that food. And in a lot of ways, I feel like social media shares the end result, but doesn't necessarily share the whole process. And it's neat how much social media has grown the hunting industry, but it's also hard to see so much of the process not shared and I'm guilty of it too. Like I love a good grip and grid, <laughs> but um, there's just so much that goes into it and so many days that were spent not actually killing the animal to highlight just the one that you did. Yeah, I agree with that. <clears throat> okay. So moving into, um, maybe your career a little bit and Nosler, right? You said that Nosler helped kind of further define your why and help really kind of get back to the roots and loving kind of the sharing of the experience and really being genuine, honestly, is, or authentic are probably the two words I can think of about it. I mean, what led you to wanting to work in the industry? Because I've heard for some folks that joining the industry love tends to, you know, do more harm than good. I mean, mm -hmm. what, what is, what drew you to that? Yeah, so I was pretty fresh out of college when I worked when I started working for Nosler. So I was previously working in the marketing department for a company called Wilco, <clears throat> which is a chain farm store in Oregon, Washington, and California now. And I was doing their grand opening events and marketing communications and stuff. Um, and it wasn't until COVID hit that 
I decided to move over with Clark, my now husband. I had met him and COVID hit and I started working remotely and I decided, you know, this is the good opportunity for me to move um, in with him. And so I did that. And then it got to the point where they wanted me to come back to the office one day a week. And it was a three and a half hour drive. And I was like, eh, you know, I don't think this is, this is for me anymore. We had gotten a new manager that I hadn't necessarily agreed with her, her managing. And so I up and quit my job. And that is so not like me to quit my job without something else lined up, but I did. And it was like, the most empowering thing. And still to this day, I'm so grateful I did that because it completely changed my life. And so I didn't have something lined up. I worked on my husband's family's ranch for the summer. And then I saw that there was a position open at Nosler and Bend. And I, up until this point, I had never really considered myself ever even thinking about working in the industry. I guess I just like never really thought of that as an option. And Nosler had an accounting job open. (laughs) And so I applied for it and I have my master's in business with a focus in marketing, but through getting my master's, I had accounting classes. So I kind of fit the bill. I was the accounts receivable specialist and it was a job that they could just train me on pretty simply and I could do it, but it was like the same thing every day. And about six months into it, the VP of sales and marketing, him and I were talking and it popped up that I had my master's and, you know, I'd really focused in marketing. And he was like, why are you in accounting? <laughs> and I was like, well, I had to get my foot in the door and that was the only position open. And looking back now, I'm really glad that I have that accounting experience because it, it truly does help me in my job now and helps me be more rounded, well-rounded in the whole, the business as a whole, but marketing is a much better fit for me. So that was kind of my first leap into the marketing department at Nosler. And I've now been there two and a half years and have held various positions within the marketing department. I've slowly made my way up to brand marketing manager. But there's people that say working in the industry can kind of be a drag if that's what you love to do outside of it. But the way I see it is I've been connected with so many incredible individuals through working in the industry who have and share the same passion as me. They, they just like, you know, they share the same values and like to do the same things outside of work. And it's almost impossible not to get along with those people. Like I go to work and guys will be like, Hey, like, what'd you shoot this weekend? Or how'd that go? Or you kill anything? And it's just fun to have those conversations to be able to pass by people in the hallway and be like, Hey, I saw you killed this. Like, good job. Like tell me the story. And I think that that's awesome and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. I love that. So I am not fluent in marketing. What's for maybe somebody that's interested that knows or has listened to this, or maybe has followed you. Right. That's like, Ooh, marketing sounds like fun. Like the industry. Uh What is a, and I know this is again, a loaded question, but like a day in the life for you, knowing that things are not the same from one to the next. Yeah. So I'll just give you the quick rundown of my position and duties. So as the brand marketing manager, I'm really focusing on how our brand faces the consumer. So I manage all of our social media channels. I do our consumer emails. Um, I manage our merchandise and apparel lines. 
and like the new apparel lines that come in and the new designs we want to do. And if we're going to run a t-shirt for this event, or if we're going to run, you know, something specific for say our 75th anniversary this year. Um, so I manage that. And then I also do all of our trade, trade show coordination and I go to all our trade shows, which is really fun. I get to travel a lot and I get to meet all those great people at the shows. And then I also manage our pro staff and sponsored shooter programs. So it's a lot and it seems like in a lot different areas, but they all really tie in together. And I actually at shows and stuff, I get to talk to a lot of our pro staff and sponsored shooters. So it's a way to stay in touch with them aside from just over email or over social media. Um, But yeah, my job is really to focus on how consumers see us. And so this is Nosler's 75th anniversary this year. Um, We're still owned and operated by the Nosler family. We're um, run by third generation Nosler, John Nosler. He's in the office every day. His sister's in the office every day. And it's just really a good tight knit community within our organization. But with that also comes like with the 75 years of being in this industry comes a focus of like, okay, where are we now and where do we want to be? Because we've had a tendency to like be in a really good spot for so long and then get passed by others because we're not focusing on the younger generation. So we launched the company with the partition bullet and still to this day, like that's what we are known for. And a lot of those young guys that back when we started our company, were shooting the pot, the partition, they're now in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And so a lot of my focus lately has been trying to appeal to different markets and especially those young customers and consumers that don't know who Nosler is. So that's been a lot of my focus lately. So then given all of that, which is a lot, (laughs) um, what for you is the most rewarding? For me, the most rewarding is seeing our apparel out in the world. I was driving, I live in a little town and I was driving down the road the other day and I saw a kid walking into the gym and he was wearing a Nosler sweatshirt. And I was like, that's so cool. Um, So things like that. And just people knowing about our brand and seeing our growth over the last year or so, whether that be social media or email or just like telltale signs that our brand is growing, it's really, really rewarding. And then on top of that is I get to talk to so many people at shows who like maybe at the first show, they don't know that we make Nosler rifles or maybe they don't know that we launched suppressors last year but by like the third show some of those same people are coming back to talk to us again or they're like hey I just ordered my suppressor or hey I want to talk to you more about the nozzle rifle or you you said this bullet was going to be in stock when do you think we can get it and so it's like they're coming back to us and there's a reason for that and that's really rewarding that is super cool so then given all of these things and being rewarding and being plugged in and communicating and really being the face of the brand to a certain extent, right? What would you say have been maybe the most useful skills that you've either came in with or had to learn? Oh, um, 
And I asked these questions, right? So kind of what we talked about before we started recording, a lot of these questions I'm asking are one to kind of learn from you, but then also if somebody else is trying to kind of figure out their own life, they can Mm -hmm. kind of glean some of those things from you too. Yeah, I would say recognizing that my voice is important and being confident and believing in myself, which are things that I say I have always had, but being in an industry that's very male dominated, even within our own office, you know, in a lot of our meetings or like management meetings or R&D meetings, I'm really the only female in those. And at Nosler, they really truly do value my thoughts and opinions and my perspectives, because I feel like I do offer a different perspective than some of the men. And not only am I in a lot of cases, the only female, but I'm the only one with a lot of experience hunting as well. And I'm the youngest. And so I really do bring something new to the table, but with that also comes pushback, right? Because I'm trying to change the perspective of some of the guys that grew up with print media and are kind of foreign to social media or foreign to influencers. And so really figuring out how I can push my ideas and help people understand why I believe certain, certain techniques or certain things will work. Um, so really just like being confident in myself and not being afraid to voice what I think in a room full of men. But it's also kind of funny too, because at shows, guys tend to not want to talk to me or they'll overlook me because they think that maybe I don't know what I'm talking about or that maybe I won't be able to answer their question. And so it's funny, mostly more from the older generation, but it is funny to see that dynamic. And I have um, one of my coworkers, Caleb, he works in our rifle department and he travels to most of our shows with us. Um, and usually it's just me and him in the booth, but guys will literally line up to talk to him. And he is awesome. Like he can talk the talk. He's great. I love having him in the booth with me, um, but he didn't grow up hunting. And so I have a little different perspective on that and a different set of knowledge around what, you know, what bullet we might want to use in a certain situation um, or, you know, talking like ballistics or whatnot. And so guys will line up to talk to him. And sometimes he'll be like, I have no idea. Like you should talk to Maddie. (laughs) And they're like, oh, really? (laughs) We didn't know she knew anything. And so just really believing in myself and like not getting frustrated in those situations because they don't know any better. And maybe that's just the time they grew up in, but kind of just pushing forward for women in the industry. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because it's always a, it's a hard question to ask, but it's one that I do value the answers to. So coming out of that, right. For women that are in the industry now, or that want to get into it, that want to have their seat at the table for lack of a better analogy, right. What were some of the key things that have helped you kind of earn that place besides because I think you kind of answered it but I'm trying to ask it a slightly different way too yeah that one's really hard for me to answer too because I get this a lot where people are like okay what should I do to get involved in the industry and Jana Waller (laughs) I hunted with her back in November and she's the first woman that I've really hunted with like 
I grew up hunting with my dad and my brother and now my husband. And so I don't, I don't really have like a group of women that I hunt with. Um, but there's so many resources out there for women that do want to get involved in hunting. And I would say find a, a good woman mentor. I think in a lot of cases, like, you know, maybe this gal wants to hunt, but her husband hunts. And when she goes with him, she feels a lot of pressure from him to hunt or to do it a certain way, or maybe he rushes it too fast or like doesn't take into consideration the way she might feel. And so I think a lot of women are kind of like, they go with their husband and then they're kind of turned off on it and really want instruction from another woman. And I don't really have anything in place yet for this at this time, but I've been toying with the idea of putting on a few woman only retreats where I take women who are interested in hunting, but who have never killed an animal. And we go, we shoot, we sight in their rifle. And then I take them to shoot a cow elk and teach them how to break it down and process it and then send them home with a whole elk. And so I've been kind of like toying with that idea. I'd like to get a couple weekends set up this August, if I can squeeze it in where I bring a few women in and see how it goes and just learn from that. But I feel like I'm doing women in the industry or women that want to get into the industry a disservice by not sharing my knowledge with them. Yeah, I like that. I've heard of um, a few women's only retreat type events like that where that's mm-hmm. it, it is specifically designed to share the knowledge and I love stuff like that right I mean I I did not grow up hunting either and it's always fun when you can kind of separate into a little bit smaller group because it's much less pressure and you yeah. can ask the dumb questions to get the right answers yeah exactly and it's just really empowering I think to get a group of women together and show them like you can do this yeah Okay. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, despite my lovely little fupa with Zoom versus Google. <laughs> um, one of my favorite kind of last questions, you know, is, again, is there anything kind of throughout this whole thing that you're like, I don't get asked this a lot, this is important to me, or I learned this, or I wish I would have learned this sooner in life that I would like to kind of get out into the world right now? Yeah, I would just say for you know, everyone out there that it's not a competition. Like it, it, we're all after the same goal. We're all here for the same reason and it's not a competition. And I think that social media has kind of maybe negatively (laughs) impacted the reason why people hunt, but it's, it's not a competition and you should really be rooting for everyone and just do you. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you, Maddie. I appreciate your time tonight. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Maddie, once again, thank you for taking the time. Uh, Everybody listening, I hope you all took some good information away. Uh, Otherwise, like I said in the beginning, please uh, take advantage of the uh, sponsor codes in the episode description. Otherwise, you all have a wonderful week and we will catch you next time. (laughs) 